Chapter Six of the Lost Stradivarius by John Mead Faulkner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tamara Hamilton. The Lost Stradivarius by John Mead Faulkner. Chapter Six. My brother told me afterwards that more than once during the summer vacation he had seriously considered with himself the propriety of changing his rooms at Madeline Hall. He had thought that it might thus be possible for him to get rid at once of the memory of the apparition, and of the fear of any reappearance of it. He could either have moved into another set of rooms in the hall itself, or else gone into lodgings in the town, a usual proceeding, I am told, for gentlemen near the end of their course at Oxford. Would to God that he had indeed done so but with the supineness which has, I fear, my dear Edward, been too frequently a characteristic of our family, he shrank from the trouble such a course would involve, and the opening of the autumn term found him still in his old rooms. You will forgive me for entering here on a very brief description of your father's sitting-room. It is, I think, necessary for the proper understanding of the incidents that follow. It was not a large room, though probably the finest in the small buildings of Madeline Hall, and panelled from floor to ceiling with oak which successive generations had obscured by numerous coats of paint on one side were two windows having an aspect on to new college lane and fitted with deep cushioned seats in the recesses outside these windows there were boxes of flowers the brightness of which formed in the summer term a pretty contrast to the grey and crumbling stone and afforded pleasure at once to the inmate and to passers-by along nearly the whole length of the wall opposite to the windows some tenant in years long past had had mahogany bookshelves placed reaching to a height of perhaps five feet from the floor they were handsomely made in the style of the eighteenth century and pleased my brother's taste he had always exhibited a partiality for books and the fine library at worth maltravers had no doubt contributed to foster his tastes in that direction at the time of which i write he had formed a small collection for himself at oxford paying particular attention to the bindings and acquiring many excellent specimens of that art, principally, I think, from Messrs. Payne and Foss, the celebrated London booksellers. Towards the end of the autumn term, having occasion one cold day to take down a volume of Plato from his shelf, he found to his surprise that the book was quite warm. A closer examination easily explained to him the reason, namely, that the flue of a chimney, passing behind one end of the bookcase, sensibly heated not only the wall itself, but also the books in the shelves. Although he had been in his rooms now near three years, he had never before observed this fact, partly, no doubt, because the books in these shelves were seldom handled, being more for show as specimens of bindings than for practical use. He was somewhat annoyed at this discovery, fearing lest such a heat, which in moderation is beneficial to books, might through its excess warp the leather or otherwise injure the bindings. Mr. Gaskell was sitting with him at the time of the discovery, and indeed it was for his use that my brother had taken down the volume of Plato. He strongly advised that the bookcase should be moved, and suggested that it would be better to place it across that end of the room where the pianoforte then stood. They examined it, and found that it would easily admit of removal, being in fact only the frame of a bookcase, and showing at the back the painted panelling of the wall. Mr. Gaskell noted it as curious that all the shelves were fixed and immovable, except one at the end, which had been fitted with the ordinary arrangement allowing its position to be altered at will. My brother thought that the change would improve the appearance of his rooms, 
besides being advantageous for the books, and gave instructions to the college upholsterer to have the necessary work carried out at once. The two young men had resumed their musical studies, and had often played the Areopagita and other music of Graziani since their return to Oxford in the autumn. They remarked, however, that the chair no longer creaked during the Gagliarda, and in fact that no unusual occurrence whatever attended its performance. At times they were almost tempted to doubt the accuracy of their own remembrances, and to consider as entirely mythical the mystery which had so much disturbed them in the summer term. My brother had also pointed out to Mr. Gaskell my discovery that the coat of arms on the outside of the music book was identical with that which his fancy portrayed on the musician's gallery. He readily admitted that he must at some time have noticed and afterwards forgotten the blazon on the book, and that an unconscious reminiscence of it had no doubt inspired his imagination in this instance. He rebuked my brother for having agitated me unnecessarily by telling me at all of so idle a tale, and was pleased to write a few lines to me at Worth Maltravers, felicitating me on my shrewdness of perception, but speaking banteringly of the whole matter. On the evening of the 14th of November, my brother and his friend were sitting talking in the former's room. The position of the bookcase had been changed on the morning of that day, and Mr. Gaskell had come round to see how the books looked, when placed at the end instead of at the side of the room. He had applauded the new arrangement, and the young men sat long over the fire, with a bottle of college port and a dish of meddlers, which I had sent my brother from our famous tree in the upper croft at Worth Maltravers. Later on they fell to music, and played a variety of pieces, performing also the Areopagita suite. Mr. Gaskell, before he left, complimented John on the improvement which the alteration in the place of the bookcase had made in his room, saying, Not only do the books in their present place very much enhance the general appearance of the room, but the change seems to me to have effected also a marked acoustical improvement. The oak panelling now exposed on the side of the room has given a resonant property to the wall which is peculiarly responsive to the tones of your violin. While you were playing the Gagliarda tonight, I could almost have imagined that someone in an adjacent room was playing the same air with a sardino, so distinct was the echo. Shortly after this he left. My brother partly undressed himself in his bedroom, which adjoined, and then returning to his sitting-room, pulled the large wicker chair in front of the fire and sat there looking at the glowing coals and thinking perhaps of Miss Constance Temple. The night promised to be very cold, and the wind whistled down the chimney, increasing the comfortable sensation of the clear fire. He sat watching the ruddy reflection of the firelight dancing on the panelled wall, when he noticed that a picture placed where the end of the bookcase formerly stood was not truly hung, and needed adjustment. A picture hung askew was particularly offensive to his eyes, and he got up at once to alter it. He remembered as he went up to it that at this precise spot four months ago he had lost sight of the man's figure which he saw rise from the wicker chair, and at the memory felt an involuntary shudder. This reminiscence probably influenced his fancy also in another direction, for it seemed to him that very faintly, as though played far off, and with the sordino, he could hear the air of the Gagliarda. He put one hand behind the picture to steady it, and as he did so his fingers struck a very slight projection in the wall. He pulled the picture a little to one side, and saw that what he had touched was the back of a small hinge sunk in the wall, and almost obliterated with many coats of paint. His curiosity was excited, and he took a candle from the table and examined the wall carefully. Inspection soon showed him another hinge a little further up, and by degrees he perceived that one of the panels had been made at some time in the past to open, and serve probably as the door of a cupboard. At this point he assured me that a feverish anxiety to reopen this cupboard door took possession of him, 
and that the intense excitement filled his mind which we experience on the eve of a discovery which we fancy may produce important results. He loosened the paint in the cracks with a penknife, and attempted to press open the door, but his instrument was not adequate to such a purpose, and all his efforts remained ineffective. His excitement had now reached an overmastering pitch, for he anticipated, though he knew not why, some strange discovery to be made in this sealed cupboard. He looked round the room for some weapon with which to force the door, and at length with his penknife cut away sufficient wood at the joint to enable him to insert the end of the poker in the hole. The clock in the new college tower struck one at the exact moment when, with a sharp effort, he thus forced open the door. It appeared never to have had a fastening, but merely to have been stuck fast by the accumulation of paint. As he bent it slowly back upon the rusted hinges, his heart beat so fast that he could scarcely catch his breath, though he was conscious all the while of a ludicrous aspect of his position, knowing that it was most probable that the cavity within would be found empty. The cupboard was small but very deep, and in the obscure light seemed at first to contain nothing except a small heap of dust and cobwebs. His sense of disappointment was keen as he thrust his hand into it, but changed again in a moment to breathless interest on feeling something solid in what he had imagined to be only an accumulation of mould and dirt. He snatched up a candle, and holding this in one hand, with the other pulled out an object from the cupboard and put it on the table, covered as it was with the curious drapery of black and clinging cobwebs, which I have seen adhering to bottles of old wine. It lay there between the dish of meddlers and the decanter, veiled indeed with thick dust as with a mantle, but revealing beneath it the shape and contour of a violin. End of chapter 6